ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Awabakal, Darug and Eora people. On the 7th of October, thousands of men from the militant Palestinian group Hamas burst out of the Gaza Strip and into southern Israel, killing at least 1,400 people, the vast majority of them Israeli civilians. More than 120 Israeli and foreign civilians have been taken as hostages. It's the worst mass murder of Jews since the Holocaust. Hamas says it's retaliation for decades of mistreatment, betrayal, insults and attacks against the Palestinian population. Israel has now launched a counterattack against Hamas in Gaza, which has killed thousands of people. In describing this attack, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the US President Joe Biden have compared Hamas to ISIS. His bloodthirstiness brings to mind the worst rampages of ISIS. And just as ISIS was crushed, so too will Hamas be crushed. While ISIS went from creation to almost total destruction in 15 years, Hamas's story is much more complex. It begins with a young refugee, confined to a wheelchair by a broken neck, who became one of the most influential men in Palestine. The Israel-Gaza conflict is complex, but over the next few weeks, we're going to try and make sense of it together. Starting with Hamas, its surprising founder, and how it rose from obscurity to taking total control of the Gaza Strip. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is If You're Listening. The early life story of Ahmed Yassin, founder and first spiritual leader of Hamas, is shrouded in mystery. His birth date is reported as being anywhere between the late 1920s and the late 1930s. There's also confusion when it comes to where he was born, because the town doesn't exist anymore. We do know that his family were farmers. These Bedouins lead a quiet and prosperous life. This is a British government documentary from the 1940s. The ordinary people of Palestine ask nothing better than to be left in peace. In 1948, life for these peasants was turned upside down. Following the horrors of the Holocaust in World War II, the United Nations decided to petition off part of Palestine to become a Jewish homeland. The new Jewish state is born in the tense atmosphere of civil war. 700,000 people were forced to leave or fled from the Israeli army. Arab strong points are taken after being blasted to rubble. Yassin's family, like thousands of others, had to run. Women flee with what belongings they can carry. Yassin's town, like many others was destroyed and a new Israeli city was built on the ruins. The family fled to the Egyptian-controlled region of Gaza. In 1952, teenage Yassin was playing with friends at the beach. One thing people in Gaza share with Israelis is a love of the beach. But on this day, there was a terrible accident. There are conflicting reports about whether he was swimming doing somersaults, playing soccer or wrestling with a friend, but what's clear is that he somehow broke his neck. He was a quadriplegic, confined to a wheelchair and dependent on others for the rest of his life. 
but he was smart and charismatic and determined. And he was able to finish school and then get a job teaching Arabic and Islamic studies at the same high school he went to. He also studied English at a university in Cairo. Gaza was under Egyptian occupation after all, until suddenly it wasn't. It was 1967, and Israel was not feeling very welcome in the neighbourhood. Afraid that bordering Arab countries would try to drive them into the sea and return their land to the Palestinians, the Israeli Air Force launched preemptive airstrikes against Egypt, which led to conflict with several countries. It was brutal and efficient, killing 20,000 Arabs. It was called the Six-Day War. In six days, it was all over. The most one-sided military engagement of modern times. This is when Gaza came under Israeli control. It was occupied by the Israeli military. The 42-kilometre-long strip was overpopulated, unemployed and angry. Israel would not permit the citizens of Gaza to move into their territory, but they said they would try and improve their lives by giving them low-paid work in Israel. Arab workers board trucks that will take them across the military frontier to their jobs in Israel. But these convoys of trucks and buses carrying workers into Israel became targets for Arab terrorists who accused the workers of collaborating with the enemy. The Arabs are nervous and they jump aboard quickly because this is a favourite moment for Arab extremists to attack. Now, it's important to understand that not all political and militant groups in Arab countries are the same. But they broadly fall into two groups, nationalists and Islamists. The terrorists attacking these convoys were not Hamas. Hamas didn't exist yet. These were Arab nationalists. They wanted to get rid of Israel and replace it with an independent Palestinian state, with a secular government which would function the same as most other countries do. Arab nationalist groups are spread out across the Middle East. In Palestine, the nationalist group was the PLO, led by a guy called Yasser Arafat. There was also, separately, the Islamists. Islamism is the idea that Islamic teachings should permeate every part of life, education, business, community, justice and politics. And your religion is more important than your national identity. You're a Muslim first and then a Palestinian. In the 1970s, Arab nationalists were the primary violent extremists, enraged by Israel's presence. Israel wanted to undermine the nationalist popular support. They hoped that employing and educating the residents of Gaza would help. The Israelis hope that an increasingly prosperous and educated population will become gradually less hostile to rule from Tel Aviv. But another way was by funding the nationalists' opponents, the Islamists. Ahmed Yassin had discovered Islamism during his education and had been travelling around doing charity work and building Islamic community centres. Israel even decided to help him out and gave him funding for his charitable work. It's important to note at this time, the Islamists were mostly peaceful. Throughout the 70s, Yassin fought culture wars. His movement wasn't ready yet for actual war. But when the 1980s arrived, Yassin decided that the time had come. He started buying weapons. The Israelis found out and threw him in jail, on and off, for more than a decade. 
In the midst of this, he founded a political and militant group called the Islamic Resistance Movement, or to use its acronym Hamas. It, it makes sense in Arabic. In the early 1990s, while Yassin was in jail, the nationalist PLO under Yasser Arafat, the guys who had been conducting terrorist attacks, began to have a change of heart. Israel allowed Arafat to return from 25 years in exile, and he recognised Israel as a state. The Palestinian Liberation Organisation today issued a statement in which it accepted Israel's right to exist. And Arafat swore off terrorism. I repeat for the record that we totally and absolutely renounce all forms of terrorism. Israel gave Arafat partial control of Palestinian affairs as the new president of a Palestinian authority covering Gaza and the West Bank. He and his Israeli counterparts Shimon Peres and Yitzhak Rabin won the 1994 Nobel Peace Prize for their efforts to form a two-state solution to the ongoing conflict where Palestinians and Israelis would each have their own land to control. Ahmed Yassin had gone the other way. His new group, Hamas, did not accept that a single acre of what was once Palestine could be handed over to Israel. And he unleashed a wave of terror to try and wreck the peace process. Israel has been plunged back into its national nightmare. The early morning explosions claimed by the Islamic fundamentalist group Hamas. With every suicide bombing, the peace process became more difficult. Israelis demanded Arafat get Hamas under control before the two-state solution could be adopted. We have to tell Arafat, you keep your animals inside your cage or we don't talk with you, peace. But in Gaza, which now had a million people crammed into an area not that much bigger than some airports, Hamas was becoming more and more popular. They were providing public services, soup kitchens, dentistry and healthcare, schools, orphanages, cash payments for refugees. Ahmed Yassin was the second most popular politician in Palestine. Eventually, he became so popular that releasing him from jail became a prerequisite for the next steps in the peace process. We hope that he will be very soon among his family and among his people here in Gaza. In 1997, after he'd spent 10 of the previous 14 years in prison, the Israelis let him go. Israel said his health was worsening. The time had come to pardon him. Yassin was now around 60 and was frailer than ever. His paralysis had worsened. He was partially deaf and blind. His voice had become a raspy whisper. And he had chronic lung and stomach problems. This frail man is the spiritual leader of the militant Islamic group Israel wants to crush. When he was released from hospital and returned home, he was given a hero's welcome. Arafat came and met with him personally, the two ideological rivals speaking to the crowd together. But if Arafat and Israel thought that this would convince Hamas to become more moderate, they were wrong. The militant Islamic group Hamas says it won't halt its armed struggle against Israel despite the release of its spiritual leader. While Hamas's charter included clear anti-Semitic rhetoric, 
Yassin said that he didn't have a problem with Jews personally. He also said he would stop at nothing to reclaim all of Palestine for Islam, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. He also didn't trust Israel to honour a two-state solution. Despite their promises to Arafat, Israeli governments had enabled more than 300,000 Israelis to build settlements in Palestinian territory by 1997, a number that was growing by more than 10,000 a year. To that end, Yassin continued ordering suicide bombings. The settlers always have to be targeted because if they aren't targeted, it means we accept the settlements. As Hamas's attacks on Israel became more and more frequent, the Israeli government declared that Yassin had been marked for death. A man that is a leader of the terror and to kill him. This is what we have to do. On March 22, 2004, as Yassin was being wheeled to the mosque near his home for morning prayers, a small drone was circling overhead. Israeli F-16 jets roared through the sky. The noise of their screaming engines obscured the approaching Apache attack helicopters. The drone followed Yassin's wheelchair marking it with an invisible laser. When it comes to assassinations, the Israeli government prefers airstrikes. They can punish their enemies without unnecessarily endangering Israeli troops. The helicopters fired three Hellfire missiles. They shot over the rooftops of Gaza City and struck Yassin directly. He and nine others were killed in the attack. His killing and us taking him off the way is actually a life-saving action for the rest of the Israelis who were actually his target. The streets of the city filled to mourn the spiritual leader of what was becoming the most powerful political movement in Gaza. Israel thought that they had eradicated a threat, but they'd created a martyr. In the 19 years since his death, Hamas has become stronger and the death toll on both sides has gotten higher. Between 2001 and the beginning of this month, 10,000 Palestinians have been killed in conflict, compared with 1,289 Israelis. In 2006... US President George W. Bush was keen on some kind of foreign policy victory in the Middle East and convinced the Palestinian leaders to hold their second ever parliamentary elections. Hamas had boycotted the first elections 10 years earlier. But now... For the first time, the militant group Hamas will contest the election. The polls suggested that the nationalist governing party, Fatah, would hold on to power. But the polls were wrong. In its Gaza Strip stronghold, Hamas celebrated its stunning victory with a show of force. The tensions clearly are high and they've exploded here on the streets. Hamas was allowed to join the parliament and their leader became the prime minister of the Palestinian government. But they still refused to renounce violence against Israel. So Western countries cut off financial support for the whole Palestinian government. Within months, skirmishes between Fatah and Hamas 
turned into open warfare. Hamas won and paraded the Fatah fighters half-naked through the streets, driving out any opposition. Turning Gaza into an Islamist enclave, almost totally controlled by a group the West considers a terrorist organisation. Israel, Fatah and Egypt decided to impose an incredibly strict blockade in Gaza, hoping that it would force the residents to overthrow Hamas. Aid organisations say the humanitarian situation there is now the worst it's been since Israel occupied Gaza in 1967. But Hamas is a lot like their founder. In comparison with the Israeli armed forces, they seem like an underdog, holed up in their apartment-building fortresses with homemade rockets, sneaking supplies in through literal tunnels under Gaza's border. But they're not as frail as they seem. They're ferocious. This Hamas cabinet minister openly told the ABC that they tortured anyone they thought was a threat. There is going to be a torture if you have a, somebody accused of uh, security crimes. Yeah. They also, they, they, you have to get information. For 16 years, they've held on to control of Gaza through force. Gaza now has a population of 2 million. Three quarters of that population was either not alive or too young to vote when Hamas was elected in 2006. Nearly half of that population are children who have lived their entire life under a land, sea and air blockade. Many have never met an Israeli. Even if this blockade has succeeded in turning the people of Gaza against Hamas, this is now a totalitarian state, so there's very little that they can do about it. The situation is unsustainable. The blockade has left the population short of food, water and energy. And now the status quo is over. Hamas has triggered a massive confrontation against Israel. We don't know how it will end, but things will never be the same in Gaza. This podcast is written by me, Matt Bevan. Series producer is Yasmin Parry. You can watch this full episode on YouTube on Saturday morning. Next week, thousands of Hamas fighters were involved in the attack on Israel this month, and yet somehow the Israeli security services seem to have had no clue that it was coming. How could one of the world's largest and best-funded intelligence communities have missed such a massive planning operation? That story is next on If You're Listening. <laughs> 